thank you for joining us for this podcast from Abundant Life. We pray that you will be blessed and encouraged by this word. Now, here's Pastor Scott. Amen. I want to take your Bibles this morning. If you have them, turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3. We've got our screens back working. Thank God we were only without them for a week. I want you to be able to put your eyes on the Word of God. If you don't have your Bible, these verses will be on the screen for you. 2 Timothy chapter 3, and in verse 1, the Bible says, You should know this, Timothy, that in the last days there will be very difficult times. For people will love only themselves and their money. They will be boastful and proud, scoffing at God, disobedient to their parents and ungrateful. They will consider nothing sacred. They will be unloving and unforgiving. They will slander others and have no self-control. They will be cruel and hate what is good. They will betray their friends, be reckless, be puffed up with pride, and love pleasure rather than God. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Stay away from people like that. I want to talk to you this morning from a sermon titled, Don't Let Difficult Times Distract You. Look at somebody and say, don't do it. Pray with me. God, thank you for your word. Thank you for each person who's come out today. God, I pray that right now, Lord, you would take control of my mind, anoint my mouth to speak the things that you would have me to say. God, I pray, Lord, that you would teach us today from your word. God, we believe in you. We believe in your word. And we ask you now to show us what you would have us to know. God, I pray you'd increase our faith, increase our love for you and our love for each other. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, I will be talking to, as I do often, Christians. I'm going to be talking to people who have already put their faith in Jesus Christ. Now, there is different ministries that approach how they have church different ways. I was in a church where the only thing that the pastor ever talked about was getting saved and the offering. And that was his every week, no matter what passage of scripture he read from, he always brought it to, are you sure you're saved and make sure you give your money. And he, used, he knew that's all he preached about. And he would say, I know y'all get tired of me preaching about salvation every week. And he said this, and I couldn't fault him for it. And I never could call him on it. He said, if you ever think everybody in this room is saved, come tell me that and I'll preach on something else. So he was right. But the Bible says there's more than just salvation. And I believe that the pattern that the early church did it, they didn't bring lost people to church to have the preacher beg them down the aisle to pray a prayer and get saved. They went out and won their, their neighbors and their family members to Christ in the streets, and they brought them into the church to make their public profession of faith. The church is not just a hospital for sinners. The church is a place where we should learn as believers the Word of God. Can you say amen? And I want you to focus on learning today as we look at this very relevant poignant passage of scripture from the title don't let difficult times distract you you don't have to be a theologian you don't have to be able to read hebrew and greek you don't have to have been saved for any length of time to believe or realize or understand that we are in difficult times we are in what the king james version calls perilous times If you watch the news, if you get online, if you look at what's going on in world events, each day seems to be more shocking than the last. The horror 
that is being lived out in our generation is so disturbing. Listen, it's so disturbing that we've become undisturbed by it. It's so disturbing that we've seen it all, that we've heard it all, that we're unshockable. People watch the news and continue to eat their food. If, if these news stories would have been shown to the generation before us, if, if these news stories would have been shown to grandmama in them, they would have put their fork down and they would have begun to pray. They would have been so upset for what they saw happening in the community that they wouldn't have just gone on, well, you know how it is. We've developed a you-know-how-it-is mentality. I woke up this morning, looked at the news, and saw in Orlando last night, one man killed 20 people in a nightclub in Orlando last night, shot 46 others approximately, held them all hostage in a nightclub with an assault rifle until SWAT took him out. Or there would have been more than 20 dead. Listen, nobody went to that club last night thinking they were going to get shot to death. And we look at it and we're like, 20 people die, nightclub in Orlando. Well, you know how it is. If, if you look at my Facebook for Memorial Day weekend, in Chicago alone, 69 people were shot on Memorial Day weekend. We don't outcry. We, we don't, we're not upset about that. Six of them were killed. Every week, on average, ten people get shot and killed in Chicago. But nobody talks about it. Nobody rallies about it. Nobody marches about it. Nobody puts anything big behind it. Why, I, I want to see that lives matter everywhere. White lives, black lives, all lives matter. But don't Chicago lives matter? Why don't we hear anybody talking? Ten people every week? And here's what people say. And they put on my Facebook when I ask. Well, that's Chicago. No, that's, that's America. That's, that's our country. These, these, are, these are human beings that, that we need to have more than an oh well mindset. We live in perilous times. We, we live in difficult times, the Bible says. And I want us as Christians to be aware of the times that we live in. The Bible says that we should be able to not just understand the time that we live in, but to know what we ought to do as men and women of God inside the times that we live in. Because the Bible teaches us as Christians that we're involved in a fight. Some churches don't even teach. Some denominations as a whole don't even believe in spiritual warfare. I don't know how you can be a Christian and not understand this thing's a fight. The Bible teaches that we're involved in a spiritual War. We, we have allies and we have adversaries. We have weapons and we have strategy. We have victories and unfortunately we have defeats. And this battle just goes on and on every day. Our allies, to name some, are the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, the Bible, and each other as Christians. We need to recognize that. Our, our adversaries are the entire demonic forces, uh, the, the spiritual wickedness, and all those who oppose our Jesus. We, we got to figure out who the good guys are and who the bad guys are. Do you know in every war there are people who are killed by what's known in the military as friendly fire? 
They, they got shot by their own. They, they either by their own branch of service or by an allied force who misdirected or made some type of mistake. But it's been said many times by many different people that as the Christian army, we're the only military in the entire world that leaves its own on the side to die. Listen. We see people, if you've, if you've been saved, you stay in church for any length of time, you're going to see believers get wounded. You're going to see believers get offended. You're going to see believers struggle. You're going to see believers fall, and you need to be a, a helping hand to pick somebody up. You need to be a shoulder to cry on. You don't always need to be the, the one that's whining and doing the crying. Sometimes you need to buck up and be strength for somebody else. Because we're in this war, and we, we've got adversaries. We, we, we've got struggles. But I said we have allies, and we have adversaries. And one thing I want us to make sure of, as believers, we need to stay focused on the fact that we are each other's allies. <laughs> if you can get this, it, it'll be the whole message. If you can understand this, it's going to help you in your life. As Christians, we are part of one family. Say one. As Christians, we are brothers and sisters in Christ. If your father is God, then and the person next to you's father is God, that makes you a brother or a sister. I was sharing with one of the deacons this morning that I have spent the majority of my life trying to get the body of Christ to understand that my people are not my people based on the similarities that they have in appearance. My people are not my people based on the color of their skin or where or how they were raised. My people and your people should be determined by the commonality of our faith. The scripture says that we're all the children of God by faith in Christ Jesus. And we've got to see each other as allies. We've got to see each other as family because there's too much infighting in the church. There's, there's too much squabbling in the church. John Bevere wrote a book uh, 20 years ago titled The Bait of Satan. And he talked about the spirit of offense inside the church and people getting upset with each other inside the church and immature Christians taking their ball and going home and taking their ball and running off to play somewhere else over offense inside the church. Listen, Jesus said in Matthew 18, offenses must come. You, you get around people, you're going to get offended. But it's how you deal with that offense. We're in a war. Ephesians 6, 12 says we're not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Do you get that? We, look at what the word says on the screen. For we, when the Bible says we, it's primarily talking to who? Christians, us. We are not fighting against flesh and blood enemies. Whether that's your brother or sister in Christ, whether that's an unsaved person, your battle should not be with people. Because the scripture declares this isn't who our enemies are. But against evil rulers and authorities of the unseen world. Against mighty powers in this dark world and against evil spirits in the heavenly places. Now does that mean as believers we should never take a stand and stand out and stand up against what is wrong? No, the Bible declares that we must raise up a standard. But we need to understand that the driving force behind that is 
darkness. The driving force behind that is evil. The driving force behind that is satanic and not human. We need to learn that we are not each other's enemies. We need to learn that we, and when I say we, I'm talking about Christians. I'm not just talking about southern white Christians. It's not hard to figure out that I'm southern. Everywhere I go, it doesn't matter where I go, no matter how deep south I go, people ask me, oh, my gosh, where are you from? And when I tell them Florida, they say, no, you must be from Kentucky. No, I'm from Florida. No, you must mean Georgia. And about that time, I get this sweat going down the backside of my ear right here. And I say, no, I know where I'm from. See, most people don't really know North Florida. Most people didn't grow up. Listen, we got more cows and chickens and goats in Jacksonville than you can shake a stick at. This, this, is, this is country living. And people ask me all the time, where, where am I from? Because my accent is so deep southern. And I obviously white. I, I'm white on design. People are like, Pastor, you need to go out in the sun. I'm like, mm, I put sunscreen on if I go out in the sun. But I, when I talk about us, when I talk about we, when I talk about family, I'm not just talking about white people from the south. I'm not just talking about white people from anywhere. I'm talking about every race, every color of people that claim the name of Jesus. That's who our family is. We need to get a we mentality. See, we understand we mentality and we understand family. Uh, whether you come from a big family or a small family. I had a brother and a sister. My brother came along late in life. He was 11 years younger than me. And he died early in life. He, he died 15 years ago on Christmas Eve. It was always, though, my sister and I. And that was us. We were just, I had one sister for the majority of my growing up time. And we weren't a large family, but we were a family. And I understood what most family members understand about their family. I could talk about my sister, but what? Nobody else could. Am I right? Didn't that have family feels? You might, you might be willing to say something about so-and-so, but don't let anybody else get up in there either because they don't know you like that, and they don't know them like that, and they don't have that right. Why? Because they're not family. You got to decide who your family is. And it's not just who you go to church with. You see, the church is bigger than these four walls. The church is bigger than this one local gathering. The church, when the Bible speaks about the church, is primarily talking about believers all over the world that make up the one true church that follows the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to what Jesus said in John 13 and 35. For your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciples. Your love for one another. Not just your love for God. Your love for one another. Not just your love of religion. Your love for one another. Not just your love for church. Your love for one another. Not just your love for things that come out of this Bible. But your love for one another will prove to the world that you're my disciple. I heard one man say the reason most people won't go to church is because they already went to church. And they didn't like what they saw. And I agree with that. I believe that to be true. I believe that what most people see in church or in the lives of Christians, and I'm talking about me and you. I'm not just talking about them Christians. I'm talking about us. Say us. 
what most people have seen in us did not compel them to want to hear our message of a loving God and a loving people because they saw something contrary to that. Jesus said that it is our love for one another that will prove to the world that you're my disciples. I believe that's one of the reasons we see so many people get saved at Abundant Life. I believe that's one of the reasons we have so many people lift eyebrows and check us out and watch us at Abundant Life because we're a different kind of church. You don't get to see what I see, what I've been seeing from day one because there's always been a door to the side or to the back of every building we've been in, and we've been in many. But you don't get to see when a family walks in the door and they look like And that look is often followed by a U-turn and straight back out the door they came in. And that's come from white people, that's come from black people, that's come from brown people. Why? Because most people aren't used to walking into a church and seeing multiracial congregation. That's why Dr. King said the most segregated hour in America is 11 o'clock on Sunday morning. Sadly, 50 years later, that's still true. But it's not as true here as it is in some other places. And I believe that it takes love to coexist together in a local fellowship. Why? Because as Jesus said in Matthew 18, offenses are going to come. You're going to have problems. Anytime you're dealing with people, you're going to have an opportunity to accept them or reject them. Anytime you're dealing with human beings because we all sin, can you say amen? We all have frailty. We all have flaws. We all have personalities. We, we all have uh, different proclivities. We all have different weirdnesses. And you got an opportunity to either love somebody or reject somebody. And I've been telling you from day one, don't be shocked. I've been telling you from day one, if you're going to love me, you're going to have to love me in spite of me. Hey, trust. I'm loving you in spite of you. Trust that. And that's the only way to really love human beings is to love them in, listen, what if you only loved your kids when they deserved it? We don't do that. We don't just love mom and daddy when they deserve it. We don't just love each other. Each, we shouldn't just love each other as Christians when we deserve it. If you come from a platform that says we're all messed up and tore up anyhow, we've all got issues anyhow, We've got to have an acceptance mindset. We've got to have a, a, a love of family that says we are brothers and sisters in Christ. No matter how much we look different, act different, agree on, or disagree on, we're still the family of God, and we're not going to be pulled apart. It's our love for one another that's going to prove to the world the world needs to see this being lived out there. The world needs to see people loving each other because if you haven't noticed, we live in a divided country. Divided on social class, divided on money, divided on race. We live in a country that is very divided and we live in a city that's more divided than the country. And so we have got to either choose God's way or the devil's way. The devil's always about division. God's always about unity. And Jesus said that our proof of following him will be the way we love each other. Listen, family's going to get on family's nerves. 
You haven't figured that out yet? Listen, if you don't understand that family gets on family's nerves, you're the nerve getter in your family. If you don't know that your family has at least one or two crazy people that nobody else in the world will accept but family, you're it. Because that's how life is. We're going to get on each other's nerves, but we've got to have each other's back. we got to love each other in hard times and in good times. But i got news for you. Times are hard, and they're going to get harder. And we've got to learn how to love each other in spite of each other. We've got to learn how to not let difficult times distract us from the mission of loving God and loving each other. That's the mission. When they asked Jesus, what is the biggest commandment? He said, the biggest commandment is this, to love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Then he threw an extra at them that they didn't even ask for. He said, and the second is like unto the first, that you love your neighbor as you love yourself. We got to love God and we got to love people because it don't matter how good we do church. If we don't love God and love each other, we're out of gas. It doesn't matter how good we do outreach. If we don't love God and love each other, we're out of gas. It doesn't matter how much we impact this community with social justice. If we don't love God and love each other, we're just out of gas as a church because we have got to follow not our plan but the written plan. We have a written plan in God's holy word that we need to follow, I told you we're family. Family gets on each other's nerves, but they don't throw each other out. Now, let me say this. They start stealing from you. More than three times. And are unrepentant about it. And over 18, time to go. That's just an aside note. But I'm talking about in the normal world where kids don't do that to parents. We love each other and spite each other, and we hold on to each other even after we get on each other's nerves. Why? Because the Bible says in Proverbs 19, 11, sensible people control their temper. And they earn respect by overlooking wrongs. Are you able to overlook a wrong? Or are you so easily offended that you're going to hold it? Well, you don't know what they did to me. I don't care what they did to you. You're supposed to be saved. You're supposed, to, you're supposed to be a Christian. You, you're supposed, you ain't supposed to be about you anyway. If we call ourselves Christian, that means we're like Christ. What, what, did, what, what did Christ pray to God in, in the Garden of Gethsemane on his last major prayer time with the Father? He said, not my will, but yours be done. He wasn't about he. He was about him. And we got to get about him. Proverbs 17, 9 says, the one who forgives an offense seeks love. But the one who repeats a matter separates close friends. This is where gossip hurts the church. This is where gossip hurts a family. This is where the devil gets involved. I told you before, if you want to hear God, you have to listen really close. The Bible says he's not in the earthquake. He's not in the whirlwind. He's not in the fire. He speaks in that still, small voice inside of you. You, you can hear God if you listen close enough. You can, you can hear God on the inside, the Bible says. You can hear God speak to you through other believers. You can hear God speak to you through signs, wonders, miracles, dreams, and visions. All those things are real. But if you really want the fastest way to have God speak to you, if you really want to know what God sounds like, let me tell you what God sounds like. 
turn the pages in this book and you will hear the voice of God. This is what God sounds like. God speaks to us. The Bible says that God in time past spoke to us through prophets. But in these last days, he's spoken to us through his son. We have the words of his son in this book. This is the word of God. And you want to hear what God sounds like, read this book. If you want to hear what the devil sounds like, here's what the devil sounds like. Ring, ring, ring. Oh, that's so old school. I don't know what your ringtone sounds like. Um, Hey, listen. If it's nasty, get a church ringtone and set it when you come. People got crazy ringtones going off in church. But whatever your ringtone sounds like, here's what the devil sounds like. Ring, 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 ring. Dude, you ain't even going to believe what so-and-so did at church. Devil. Girl, let me tell you what just happened, and they're supposed to be saved. Devil. You say, well, I said that. Does that make me the devil? That means the devil's trying to influence you for evil. Because the Bible says whoever repeats a matter separates close friends. Psychologists have proven that human beings are so deficient and so flawed mentally that some kind of way in our deficiency, we believe that by putting another person down, we elevate ourselves. And there's no truth in that. But that's what people do from, from childhood on up. They'll go around putting somebody else down to make them feel better about themselves. But that is, there's no validity in that. It doesn't make you better to put somebody else down. And it doesn't make you better to try to separate. But another thing psychologists have proved in faulty thinking on the human being is that one of the fastest bonding experiences among people who are not close is the common enemy. The presence of a common enemy. Do you realize you don't even have to be friends with somebody, but if you find out they hate the same person you hate, boom, already together. You don't know it. You don't understand it. Remember back to junior high school. Let's just just pick on women for a minute because it's easy. In this category, I'll pick on men in a minute. Two girls don't even know each other, don't even like each other, at each other's throats, petty, jealous, negative, Both tried out for the same cheerleader position. Neither one of them got it, so they're mad at each other. Don't know each other. But when they find out that they both hate the same guy, oh, now they got something to talk about. Now now they're all like, he he did that to you? He did that to me too. I can't Why are they talking? Are they really friends? Are they really close? No, but they have a common enemy. And that's some kind of deficient way. Listen, just because somebody calls you up on the phone talking bad about somebody you don't like, that don't make them your friend. If they're repeating stuff anyway, if they're gossiping anyway, they're trying to separate you from somebody. Do you know how many people inside churches have been hurt, wounded, offended, knocked off their faith because somebody repeated something to them in an attempt to pull them away from somebody else? This is what happens. This is the war that is raging because we don't recognize that we are family. We don't recognize that we love each other in spite of each other. That's how cliques happen. That's how this little group gets off over here, and this little group gets off over here inside churches, and this little group fellowships over on this side. And when they get together, they're like, well, you know, I'm not trying to say anything bad about Deacon Jimmy. If it starts like that, guess what? You ought to, you ought to, you ought to cut them off right there. Well, you know, I, I, it, I don't hate Pastor Scott. 
But I do have, it can't be good from that beginning. And this is what the enemy wants us to do, to separate, to divide, because united we stand, but divided we fall is not just a cliche, that's reality. And we got to learn how to fight this fight effectively. And we fight this fight effectively by not getting distracted and by living the way the book tells us to live. We, I believe, are living in the last days. Theologically, the, the phrase last days is used often in the New Testament. And theologically, it refers to the time period from Jesus' resurrection to his coming back. So we've been living in the last days since the first century. We've been living in the last days since about 30 A.D. We've been living in his last day period for almost 2,000 years. And some people say, man, they've been talking that last day message forever. I like what the Bible says. We're nearer than when we first believed. We're closer to the end than we've ever been. And I believe that we are living in the last days. One of the biggest signs of being in the last days is that there will be a great rebellion against the things of God in the earth. One of the biggest signs of the very end of the last days is what one translation says, the great falling away. In 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 3, the scripture says, don't be fooled by what they say. For that day, when? The end. Say the end. For that day, the end of time will not come until there is a great rebellion against God and the man of lawlessness, Antichrist, is revealed, the one who brings destruction. The Antichrist is not going to pop up. The, 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 the whole deal is not going to unravel until there is this great rebellion against God. Do you see anything in our country, anything in the world that looks like rebellion against God going on right now? Because I sure do. If you lived more than one year on this planet, you sure should have. If you don't understand that we are in this time, then you are missing the signs of the end of time. I believe that every generation before us, and they've written it down, they all thought they were living in the last days. Christians from the time of Christ, Paul thought Jesus would come back in his lifetime. He said he was looking every day. Paul believed that they were living in the last days, 2,000 years ago, that Jesus would come back in his lifetime. Every generation of Christians have believed that. I believe that since I got saved. I believe Jesus is going to come back in my lifetime. People ask me, Pastor Scott, do you really believe that Jesus is going to come back in your lifetime? I honestly am shocked he hadn't already come back. I mean, I definitely believe. I believe that we are in the last of the last days. Every generation has believed that, but we're the first generation that it could have been true for. Not just because of Israel reconstituting itself as a nation in the 40s, but the Bible says that in the last days there will be two witnesses from God and they would die and lay dead in the streets of Jerusalem for three days and the whole world would see it. Well, there's never been an opportunity. A hundred years ago, nobody could see two dudes laying dead in, in, in the Middle East from Jacksonville. But now somebody get, get bumps their toe, we can see it on CNN. We, we can see it on NBC, ABC, any, any other news channel. We can see it on Fox. We can see it on any news channel. We can watch it on the Internet. We're the first generation that could have possibly been the last generation because the last generation has to be able to see these two witnesses lay dead for three days and then come back to life. So grandmom and them generation, they thought they were going to be the end generation. They couldn't have been because they didn't have the technology to see two people lay dead in the street. But that ought to tell you, wow. 
Now we've got all the technology required to be the last generation. The Bible says in the very last days, there's going to be a great rebellion against God. Uh, many versions, translations say a great falling away. And we are in difficult times because in our text, look at verse 1 in 2 Timothy chapter 3. In our text, it says, you should know this, Timothy, that in the last days, there will be very difficult times. I've told you before, the Bible is a specific book. It wastes no words and it adds no words. Every word is there for a reason, and they're all important, and they're all to be taken notice of. It doesn't say just that there will be difficult times, but there will be very difficult times. There's always been hardship. There's always been struggle. There's always been difficulty in the earth for human beings. But as a world, we're in a time that is very difficult and the scripture says that that is a last day proof that is a sign of the end of times that there would be very difficult times i believe we live in the easiest generation for some things and the hardest generation for others we have more luxuries than any generation before us had but we've got more depression than any generation before us had we, we have more things to play with, more toys and, and, and more cool stuff than any generation's ever had. But we have more discontentment than any generation has ever had. We are living in some really difficult times. Paul goes on to describe these difficult times to Timothy. I've told you it's the coolest thing about the Bible. One of the coolest things about the Bible to me is the Apostle Paul is writing this letter to his son in the faith, Timothy, a young preacher that he's training. And he's telling him uh, things personally about the situations that are going on in their day and time. But the cool thing about the scripture, even as Paul was writing this to his friend Timothy, God was inspiring him to write it, knowing that it would be scripture for us 2,000 years later. So if, if you look at this, you can say, well, Paul wrote this to Timothy. Or you could equally look at this and say God wrote this to us because both are true. It's not an either or, it's a yes and both. That God is saying to us in the last days there will be very difficult times. And then he goes on to explain what the last days will look like. And let's look at that in verse 2. For people will love only themselves and their money. There's never been a generation like that, more so than this generation, People will love only themselves and their money. That's two different things. Love of self and love of money. Do you realize that people are getting rich right now in plastic surgery and they could have never got rich in any generation before us? Grandmama wasn't going to pay no whole bunch of money to have rat poison shot in her wrinkle creases. Botox. Grandmama wasn't going, granddaddy wasn't going to pay a bunch of money to have somebody stick a long metal tube in, in his fat rolls and, and vacuum the fat out of his belly. Why? They, they weren't concerned about the exterior that much. No generation. Listen, great grandmama wasn't trying to get a facelift. She was old and telling people, I earned these wrinkles. Every one of them. I got this by living, and, and I ain't ashamed of it. But this generation, they are determined. I'm going to stay young forever. I got news for you, dudes. Everybody 
Every man that lives long enough is going to get that furniture disease. <laughs> furniture. What kind of furniture? You remember the old, old bedrooms used to have a chest of drawers. You got all them things you put your clothes in. Well, what the furniture disease is when you get old enough and your chest falls down to your drawers. That's, that's what's coming for every man on the planet. You, I told you I'd pick on men too. Listen, ladies, I'm not going to take long to let you know about what life is going to catch up to you on because you look at it every day and you're over-concerned with it. Stop worrying about the outside and focus on the inside. We, we live in a time where people are more in love with themselves. Narcissism is at an all-time high. We, we just value pretty more than any generation ever has. We, we want to look good. We want to stay young forever. That's a sign of the end. People love only themselves and their money. We're in the most money-focused generation in the history of the world. Our poor people would be rich in most other countries around the nation. I already told you, every poor person I know got a pack of cigarettes and a lighter. Every poor person I know got a cell phone. Every poor person I know got at least a friend with cable TV. Every poor person in our country has food or access to food. This isn't the, the course for poor people around the world. There's real poverty in other places. I'm not saying there aren't poor people in our country. What I am saying is we live in a day and time where money has taken a higher level of importance with people than it ever has before. Judging people by the clothes they wear. Judging people by the houses they live in. Judging people by the cars they drive. Feeling good about your... Listen, I've heard... I don't know. Maybe it happened before my generation... But I've heard it recently in the last 20 years, people talking about, ladies talking about, I got to go do some retail therapy. Does anybody even know what that means? Y'all don't want to raise y'all. Thank you, Amber. Y'all don't want to raise y'all's hand. Y'all know what retail therapy is? You're getting a little depressed. You don't go out and spend your money. Or even worse, his money. Or y'all's money. <laughs> right? Y'all want to go out retail therapy. Listen, I don't believe other generations just got depressed and decided, here's what I'll do. I'm depressed because I'm broke. So here's the answer. Go out and buy a bunch of stuff I don't need, and I'll feel better about me. Why do we get there? Because we live in a generation that only has love for themselves and their money. This passage describes what the world is going to look like at the very end of the world. People will be boastful and proud. Boastful and proud. <laughs> I, it may be the advent of media. It may be the addition of social media. But, man, I see a whole lot of bragging going on in the world. I see a whole lot of boasting going on in the world. I see, it is, it is just crazy to me. Listen, young people, Malachi, I hope you grow up and play professional sports, son. I really do. Buy your mama a big house and buy your daddy whatever he wants and, and, and pay tithes to the church. But if you ever are playing football and your team is down 39 to 3 and you get, and they hand you the ball, on second and one, and you run one and a half yards to get a first down, and you jump up celebrating like you just cured cancer, I got no respect for that. Have y'all seen these dudes? 
I can't remember. That tight end for the New York Giants, what was that boy's name? I, I think he played for the Giants. He celebrated. It didn't matter how down his team was. If he ever got a first down, he jumped up and he was like, Wah! like you're losing by 50, son. What are you celebrating? I'm enjoying watching the NBA Finals. And what I don't enjoy, though, listen, if you're six foot eight and you got a 35-plus vertical leap and the rim is only 10 feet tall and you dunk the ball, <laughs> I believe I can put this napkin in this bucket. That's how hard it is to be 6'8 and dunk a basketball. Dunk a basketball and just scream in anger. And then it would boogaloo all the way back to the other side like, like you just done something. You're getting donkey stomped. But you're celebrating. Why? Because you're boastful. Because you're proud. More in this generation. People have always been proud. Pride ain't new. But it's more on display now than it's ever been. The, the expression of pride is so shameful that, that, that it should be shameful to watch the way. I, I, I like what old school coaches say. You get in the end zone, act like you've been there before. Great players don't have to go through all that. But we live in a time of, of just, and it's not just sports, it's everywhere. Let me keep moving. Here, here's another thing. All these commas, you hear me say it all the time, pay attention to the punctuation. It's there for your perfection. It'll help you understand the Scripture. you got to take the Scripture in bite-sized pieces so you can digest it and get it on the inside. People, in the very end of time, they're going to be boastful and proud. Comma. We talked about that. What's that? Scoffing at God. You know, lost people didn't scoff at God 100 years ago in this country. They, they kept their mouth shut. They didn't talk openly against God. There, there was a fear from, of God even in lost folk. People didn't just come out against God publicly. They, they might not have believed in God. They might not have had a personal relationship with God, but they wasn't putting their mouth on God openly the way people do now. People just rise up and, I don't care what God says, and I don't care if he sends me to hell. I got news for you. You need to be medicated, and you need to, re, you need to reconsider those thoughts. You need to reconsider who you're attacking verbally, and you need to reconsider how long eternity is. Because hell ain't nowhere to be for a second, much less eternity. But we live in a time where people just say anything about God. Never before have we been at this place in history, but we're there now. Disobedient to parents. Never before have there been kids the way there are kids now. Y'all have heard the stories. Y'all heard me offer to spank people, their children, because they're scared to spank them. Listen, you got kids telling parents. I've seen it with my own eyes, heard it with my own ears. If you hit me, I'll tell my teacher, and they'll put you in jail. I told y'all, that was on Commonwealth at the DMV. I told that lady, his teacher don't know me, I'll hit him for you right now. <laughs> Think I won't. My children know, my kids, if my kids see somebody, because I'm a single parent, we, we eat out every day, so we're in restaurants every day, and my kids see a lot of other kids, and if kids are acting up, one of them will say it. Them kids need to be beat, don't they, Daddy? <laughs> yes, they do. The Bible says if you spare the rod, you'll spoil the child. 
I'm not talking about hurting somebody. I'm talking about disciplining somebody. There, there, there's a difference between spanking and, and beating somebody. Beat is an expression not to be lived out literally. But this generation of children and the level of disobedience to parents is mind-boggling. The willingness of other parents to shelter foolishness. I know kids who have left mom and daddy's house because mom and daddy said, you can't keep living here smoking crack. You can't keep living here coming home high every night. You can't keep living here disrespecting my home every night. You can't keep living. And, and, and their friends' parents take them in. That didn't exist before this generation. Ray Ray's parents would have beat you for your parents in the, in the former generation and sent you home to mama. Ain't it right? We are in the end of times. We are in a time that has never existed in the history of the world before, and this is the time that the Bible said Jesus would come back. We better get ready to meet the Lord because this is how the Bible says people will be in the very end. Now, people have been disobedient to parents in other generations. Never like this. Never like this. Never like this. Never sheltered by other parents. Never sheltered by schools and administrators. Never sheltered uh, in their disobedience. Ne never boastful about their, their willingness to disobey. Listen, kids, you better respect mom and daddy. It's the first commandment in the Bible with a promise attached to it. And don't listen, parents, I already told you. Stop telling these kids long, until you turn 18 years old, you'll do what I say. Stop telling these kids, as long as you live in my house, you'll do what I say. As long as you're mom or daddy, they should do what you say. Amen. It don't stop when they turn 18. There's the comma. We talked about it. And there's more. Say more. Ungrateful. We got more than we've ever had. But we sure are less grateful than any generation's ever been for it. I heard a comedian talking one time. It was hilarious. You know, if you can be funny without cussing, you are incredible as a comedian. Because, you know, most comedians use a lot of foul language. Because, you know, anybody, anybody can get a laugh doing that. But clean comedians uh, are few and far between. This was a clean comedian. He was telling jokes. You, you won't get the point, so I won't even try to set it up and make it funny. But he was talking about gratitude and being poor and growing up poor. And he was telling his kids how lucky they are that they've got Cheetos and Doritos and Fritos to eat. He said, when I was growing up, all we had to eat was lint off the carpet and the dryer. But we were thankful for our lint. And people that have lived a while, they understand that. Previous generations were more thankful for the little bit that they had than this generation is for the everything that they've got. Kids today want to start off in houses as big as mama and daddy's house is now. Want to drive a car. I'm not driving that. Well, walk. Why do I tell mine? But like, but what am I going to get for my first car? Not, not this Lincoln Navigator. I can tell you that right now. You're going to be getting some beater. You're going to be getting something you can scratch up and not get in too much trouble with me. Kids want to have everything now less grateful than ever. Not just kids, though. Adults, too. Less. Do you realize that every few years they have to change the standardized expression and uh, advertising for what an executive home is? 
based on square footage. When I was growing up, if a home was bigger than 1,200 square feet, it was an executive home. Then it went to 1,400. Then it was 1,600. Now it's 1,800. Now you got kids living in 1,800, 2,000 square foot houses saying, can we get a bigger house? What? 2,000 square foot home not big enough for you? And there are people in this room, me and some others, uh, that live in houses even larger than that. Listen, you need to be grateful for what you have. We live in a society that's not grateful. Always looking for the bigger, better deal. Always looking for more, 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 more. I already told you, if you live in a single wide and you're not grateful for it, you don't deserve a double wide. If you, if you got an above ground pool and you're not grateful for it, you don't deserve an in ground pool. If you live in a double wide and you're not grateful for it, you don't deserve a triple wide. If you live in a starter home and you're not grateful for it, you don't deserve an executive home. We need to learn how to be grateful for what we have. This is the least grateful generation this is the highest expectation and the lowest producing generation i read something that the government put out on status that this generation of current teenagers and below will be the first generation in the history of america this you marcus the first generation in the history of america that ends up making less money than their parents made don't fall into that normal pattern excel exceed every parent wants their child to go beyond them Amen. We went beyond ours. Most of us went beyond ours. Most of us have a testimony that our families came from nothing. But because our parents invested in us, we were able to move up higher than what their status was in life. And we want that. And every generation in America has been that way for 200 plus years until now. Less grateful for what they have. Won't bigger than what mom and daddy already got, but according to the government, it's going to be the first generation of people in this country that are lower producing than their parents. I believe lack of gratitude is a curse. I believe lack of gratitude will hold you back. I believe if you're not grateful for what you have, God's not going to give you any more. And the Bible says in the last days, we're going to live, be living around ungrateful people. That's not all. There's more. It says they will consider nothing sacred. I told you earlier, there are people willing to put their mouth on God in this generation. Nobody did that before. Look at the way people treat church now. People come into church act any kind of way. People used to, listen, people, you, hey, even hypocrites, even people doing dirt, even people hiding on the low, they would come into church, realize that their loud, ungodly music was playing. Real quick, they'd change the channel and turn it down. Not today. Not today. You hear just as much bump and grind in the church parking lot as you hear in the club parking lot. People used to treat the church different. People come into church eating and drinking, smacking gum, cussing and acting crazy. People didn't used to do that. Well, what's the, what's the deal? This generation holds nothing sacred. The church house ain't sacred. Their family ties ain't sacred. Their marriages ain't sacred. Their, their relationship to their friends ain't sacred. And their God ain't sacred. It's all about them and how they approach it. Look at verse 3. We're going to move quickly and I'm going to get you out of here. They will be unloving and unforgiving. The Bible says in the King James Version that they'd be without natural affection. There's a natural affection that God has put in the heart of every human being. It's natural to love your children. It ain't natural to put a child in a dumpster. Are you hearing me? It is natural to love your children. It ain't natural to throw your children into a river. 
People didn't do that in previous generations, but you read about it all the time now. People just, just, just giving up on the, 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 the natural love that we should have for one another is replaced with a lack of natural affection. People are less loving and less forgiving now than they've ever been. Do you know communities used to be tight? They weren't any more perfect than we are now. They didn't get offended any less than we get offended. They just forgave more, and they loved better. They loved longer, and they loved stronger, and they didn't let stuff separate them and tear them apart because they realized love was more important than their differences. It goes on. It says they will slander others. <laughs> well, you got the help of social media now. You can take shots at people, and the whole world see it. It's so funny. People try to hurry up and erase and delete their tweet. They got all these little apps now. The kids think, well, as soon as they open it and read it, uh, it disappears. Listen, they screenshot it. You know, they got these apps now for cheaters. They, they send these cheating text messages, these cheating sexting messages that as soon as you look at them, they disappear and delete. Not if they screenshot it. I see these athletes get, get all upset, and they'll put something on their Twitter, and then 13 seconds later, they'll go in there and, and take it down. Too late. It's on ESPN by then. You can delete it and deny it all you want to, but when it's on your Twitter feed, it, 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 somebody put it there. Listen, we live in a generation filled with slanderers. Back in the day, older generations, they, they, didn't, they weren't as free willing to talk about other people as much as this generation now. Because they realize, you know, you, you talk bad about somebody else, something's going to come back on you. They understood reciprocity. They understood the law of sowing and reaping. And I want to tell you, we are in a time of greater slander than there ever has been in the history of the world. And it goes on to say, and have no self-control. No self-control. <laughs> People are, uh, so many Christians are looking for God to do so much for them. The Bible says that part of your spirituality should be self-control. God shouldn't have to do everything for you. You ought to be able to control something about yourself. You ought to be able to check yourself. You ought to be able to control yourself. You ought to be able to set a prayer time and keep it. You ought to be able to set a Bible study time and keep it. But this last generation, this is describing the last generation of people that will be on the earth when Jesus comes back, will be a group without self-control. Man, we are living it right now. That's why we have so much social promotion. Little Johnny don't deserve to go to the next grade because he won't shut up, sit still, and do his work. But they ain't going to keep him back because, you know, all the rest of the kids don't have self-control either. I've talked to teachers that told me they feel more like prison guards than they feel like teachers anymore because all their classes just run wild because there's no self-control. And this is the world that we're living in. They will be cruel. Hmm. This is the world we live in. Cruelty. What people are willing to do to each other in this generation has never been experienced before. Look at what it says at the end of this verse. And hate what is good. Hate what is good. You want to get enemies? Start trying to do right. You want people to hate you? Start lifting up the name Jesus. Jesus said, marvel not if they hate you, they hated me first. Hate's not new. But man, I, I, just, I just cannot adjust my 52-year-old mind to feel good about watching people on the news burning the American flag and clapping and rejoicing about it. I, I, just, I just can't feel good about that. I can't feel good in my 52-year-old mind watching somebody take an American flag on social media videos and wiping their behind with it. 
and challenging other people to do that. See, because in my 52-year-old mind, the American flag represents something that's good. I can't get in my 52-year-old mind people saying stuff like, I'm going to leave America and raise my children somewhere else because I can't raise my kids in this country. We're going to live somewhere else and see how that works for you. I can't get it in my mind why people are so willing to hate what is good other than the fact that we are living in the end of time. Verse 4 says they will betray their friends. Betray their friends. I try to explain this to teenagers all the time. You go on some these kids' social media, and the first thing they say in their own biography as they talk about their life, they say, I love my friends more than life. If you don't believe it, try me. Six weeks later, Becky's hating Buffy. You were willing to kill everybody for Buffy last month. What happened? Betrayal. We live in a time where friendships come and go faster than any. I thank God I got lifelong friendships with people I grew up with that I still talk to on a daily basis. I thank God for long-standing friendships. We live in a society where people just throw their friends out, and the Bible says in the end of time, your best friends will betray you for less than the price of a co- the, the cost of a piece of bread. Better put your trust in Jesus. Because mm. the Bible says they will betray you. They'll be reckless. They'll be puffed up with pride, and they will love pleasure rather than God. And I believe that this last one in verse 4 is the biggest proof text that we are living in the very end of time. They will love pleasure more than they love God. I believe that's why church attendance is down. Every church will tell you about the summer slump. Church attendance goes down in the summer, and, and it's natural. People go on vacation. There's nothing wrong with that. Go on vacation. You, if, if God gave you a couple extra dollars, go on vacation. Be grateful for it. Take your children. Come back to church. Bring the tithe that you kept last week and bring it back with you. That's a different message. I'll preach it at a different time. But every church talks about the summer slump. Attendance goes down in the summer. Why? Well, you know, we get, go to the beach. Go to the lake. Go hang out. Weather's good. Stay up later. Sleep on Sunday. Listen, everybody used to go to church. Everybody. We lived in a nation when they first started representing church membership, church attendance, or church attendance in this country was over 90% when they first started keeping statistics on church attendance in this country. Over 90%. They estimate now by, by 2020 in just four short years, it'll be less than 20%. Why? Because people love pleasure more than they love God. Man, when the church bell rang, people showed up. In grandmama's generation, that's just what they did. Get dressed, we're going to church. Can I stay home and watch TV? Oh, you love TV more than God? Can we skip church and go to the lake? You love the lake more than God? We live in a generation just like that. Last verse 5. They will act religious, but they will reject the power that could make them godly. Never in the history of the world until this generation have there been a group of people who considered themselves spiritual without God? Go, go, go look on TV. Listen to people talk. Listen, listen to celebrities talk. Go look on social media. Look on people's biography. Spiritual, but not religious. What are they saying? I'm, I'm a spiritual person, but I, I'm not connected to God or Jesus. People have 
been so self-delusional that they think that they really can have some type of spirituality without God. This is a sign of the end of time. They'll act religious. They'll act spiritual is, 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 is the Greek word, but they will reject the power that can make them godly. People who are spiritual without the power that can make you godly is the Holy Ghost. The power that can make you godly is inside this book. The power that can make you godly is the power of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. People who claim spirituality without a connectivity to those things, they are rejecting the power that could make them godly. This is an end time sign, and we are seeing it more now than we have ever seen. And the very last sentence that we're going to talk about this morning on the screen right now says, stay away from people like that, exclamation point. This is an emphatic command. Stay away from people like that. Why? Because association brings assimilation. Because if you lay down with dogs, you get up with fleas. Because you can't hang around evil and not get corrupted. You can't, you can't roll in the dirt and not get dirty. I've heard kids say, my mom hates me. She just hates all my friends. No, she hates your drug-dealing friends. My my dad just won't let me hang out with none of my buddies. Because he knows your buddies don't mean you any good. And you need to learn. People think, well, as Christians, we're supposed to be tolerant and loving and broad-minded, and we're supposed to be accepting and inclusive. That's not Christianity. Christianity is narrow-minded. Jesus was the most narrow-minded man that ever lived. He said, I'm the only way to heaven. There's nothing broad about that. He said, anybody that tries to get to God any other way than me is a liar and a thief. There's nothing broad about that. That's not inclusive. That's not what people today would call tolerant. We're not supposed to just accept everybody and everything. There are certain people that you need to stay away from. Who? Everybody in that list in verse 1 through 5. Everybody in that list, you know people, they're rejecting the Holy Ghost. They're, they're rejecting everything that really could make them godly, but they still want to act religious and, clog, and clog up the church gossip line. Stay away from people like that. Truth breakers, proud, boastful people, pe- people that, that want to cause division, people that are unforgiving, people that have no self-control, slandering people. The Bible commands us to stay away from people like that. I heard one preacher challenge uh, all the pastors at a convention one year. He said, take pictures of those kind of people. You got slandering church members. You got gossiping church members. Take little, take little pictures of them post them in your foyer. And tell all the rest of the good church folks, stay away from them. Now, let me ask you, if I did that, would you be one of the ones on the picture or one of the ones we're staying away from? Let me ask you a better question or a different question. If I did that, would the people that you're on the phone with be on those pictures? If I did that, would the people on your friends list be on those pictures? But they've been been my friends for so long. You're slandering friends? Your friends that are slandering, your friends with no self-control, your, your friends who have, have broken covenant that betrayed their friends, your reckless, proud, pleasure-loving friends. There comes a time when you get older, you get wiser. 
You learn to cut some stuff off just because it is no good for you. There have been people in my life that I truly love that I've just had to say, you know what? We can't hang out no more because we're going in two different directions. You say, well, we're supposed, we're supposed to, you know, love everybody. Listen, you can love people without going to lunch with them. Paul loved Barnabas, but when they had their fallout, there's no record of them ever talking to each other again. There's no record. Uh, they never did ministry together again. That didn't mean they hated each other. That didn't mean they weren't loving toward each other. They just realized, look, me and you, we ain't on the same page no more. You go do you, I'm going to go do me. And it comes a time when you grow and you mature in Christ where you're going to have to be faced with this command at the end of verse 5. And you're going to have to decide, am I going to stay away from people like that? You're going to have to decide, am I people like that? Is this this talking about me? Now, we could all be guilty of some of these things or even most of these things from time to time in our life. This isn't talking about that type of deal. This is talking about people who live lives like this consistently. You know that's what they're about. You're going to have to be faced with this command. Are you really going to stay away from people like that? We're living in dangerous times. We're living in perilous times. We're living in difficult times. And I want you to know this. Every scripture that talks about the end of days points clearly to this generation. Every prophecy in the Bible that talks about the time when Jesus would come back to this earth points to this generation. I believe that if I live out a normal time frame in my life, that I will live long enough to see God Tell Jesus, go get my children. The Bible says that God is going to send Jesus back and gather his children from the north, south, east, and west, from all four corners of the earth, and call us all up to heaven. The Bible says that those that have died in Christ have gone on to heaven. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. And the Bible says that one day in the moment, in the twinkling of an eye, that Jesus would return and we will be caught up to meet him in the air and be with him and all the ones that have gone on before us. I hope you've got a reservation in heaven. I hope that you know for sure that you're saved. Salvation is nothing to play with. Eternity is nothing to play with. You don't know. Those 20 people that died last night in that club, they didn't know that was going to be their last day breathing on this earth. But it was. And they stepped out of this life and into the next life. And when you take your last breath on this life, the Bible says you open up your eyes in the next life. The Bible says some people open up their eyes in hell, some people open up their eyes in heaven. I hope when you take your last breath in this life, you will be in the arms of Jesus in the next life. I love the promises in the Bible, and the Bible promises for those who are truly born again that to be absent from the body, to die, is to be present with the Lord. See, for those of us who believe in Jesus Christ, we believe that he lived, he died, he was buried, he rose again on the third day. For those of us who have been born again by the supernatural life chain, you power the Holy Ghost. The very second we leave this earth, 
all the things we've been believing that we haven't yet seen, we're going to see it with our own eyes. We're going to see Jesus one day. If you're saved, you're going to see Jesus one day. But if you're not saved, I want to urge you today, give your life to Christ. God loves us so much that he made a way that all of us could go to heaven. And that way is Jesus. Jesus said, no one can come to the Father except through me. No other religion can get you to heaven. No good work can get you to heaven. There's nothing that you can do to get to heaven other than putting faith in Christ. Can you believe that Jesus died, that he lived, that he died, and that he rose again, and that he's alive right now? If you can believe that, you can be saved. All you have to do is call on the name of the Lord. Because the Bible says, whosoever shall call on the name of the Lord shall be saved. You say, well, Pastor Scott, I've called on the name of the Lord before, and I don't feel like I'm saved. You're probably not. Because the Scripture says you'll only find him when you search for him with your whole heart. I called on his name a bunch of times, didn't get saved. But that one time, on July 15, 1981, when I searched for him with my whole heart and I cried out to him in sincerity and I asked God to save me. I remember exactly what I prayed. I said, God, please give me salvation like I see in the Bible, not like Jimmy. Because my friend was the pastor's son and we smoked dope together. And he had said he was saved. I knew I wasn't saved. I didn't want what he had. I wanted what Peter, James, and John had. And you need to get some salvation like they had. Don't think just because your buddies do what you do and they're saved that you're saved too. The Bible says we will give account for ourselves only. When you stand before God, is He going to let you in? That's the real question to deal with in life. Do you know for sure that heaven is your home? If it's not, you don't have to walk this aisle. You don't have to shake my hand. All you need to do is ask God to save you, and the Bible says He will. He said he's faithful to everyone who calls on him with their whole heart. And if you need to get saved today, the Bible says if you confess your sins, he'll forgive you of your sins and cleanse you from all unrighteousness. If you already know that you're saved, I want you to remember in closing the title of this message. Don't let difficult times distract you. Don't let all these people living that way distract you from your goal. Don't let slanders distract you from your goal to be who God called you to be. Don't let this generational dysfunction distract you from serving God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Don't let what other people are doing distract you from being the man, the woman that God put you on this earth to be. If you're saved, the devil can't take that from you. But he can distract you from growing in your faith. And he will use people like this to do it. Don't let difficult times distract you. Don't let other people distract you. We only have one God. We only have one Savior, one faith, one baptism, one Lord. There's only one way to heaven, and his name is Jesus, and I hope you know him. Pray with me. God, thank you for your love. Thank you for your goodness. Thank you for salvation. God, you told us to stay away from people like that. God, help us to not be people like that. Help us, God, to love each other the way we should. Help us to love you the way we should. Help us, God, to honor you with this one life that you've given us. Help us to be grateful, God, 
Help us to be kind. Help us to be generous. Help us to be forgiving. Help us, God, to honor the commitments that we've made and not be betraying friendships. Help us, God, to choose love over offense. Help us to choose unity over division. God, I pray for each person in this room, different backgrounds, different issues, God. I pray for those who are hurting, those who are suffering, Lord, that you would show yourself more than able. We believe in you, and we believe in the power of resurrection. We believe in the power that makes us godly through your son, Jesus. Help us, God, to put you above everything. Help us to choose you first. Help us to seek you more than we seek anything else. And we trust as we do that, that you will work it out. We love you, and we thank you for loving us. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast. We truly appreciate the opportunity to pour into your lives each week. For more information or to donate to Abundant Life's ministry, please check out our website at www.alcfnow.org.